Welcome into your Utah post game show. And oh, look at look up here behind you. Oh, there are fireworks going off, man. The Utes won the Pac-12 South. You can see there's fireworks going on <laughs> in the state of Utah here in downtown Salt Lake. The Utes are Pac-12 South champs, man. Look at this, Brian. Back-to-back are, years. Are you watching our firework display? We've got a perfect view of the Utah post-game firework display as some of these big cannons go off back here. Gigantic fireworks. Throwing up a really nice display up. Oh, yeah. I hadn't looked back there before. That's nice. I see the Broadway Media Building. That's great. I used to be there. It was nice. I used to work there. That was nice. Uh, I didn't see that before. Uh, but yeah. It's the, not quite in the way of the fireworks. Oh, I, well, I turned my neck and I thought, oh. Yeah, hey, look at that. Wonderful memories there. Uh, it's senior night. The Utes got a victory. Did you, are they lighting the U yet? How does that work? Uh, I can't see the U from here. All I can see are these fireworks. And I got to tell you, Utah fans, as you're starting to get in your car, you can hang out with us for a bit. If you want to call in, 855-340-9663. We'll try to get out to some calls. You're going to hear from Kyle Whittingham, and, and we'll get into a lot of this game. But just to make a quick analogy, you know, when I know that my wife is coming home, maybe she's gone for two, three days, and I got the kids, and I know she's coming home, and it's like, man... You guys, it's it's we we got an hour, and we got to get this place clean. And I'm doing dishes, and my kids are scrubbing toilets and making beds. And it's like you know, then you start working on the details. Like, oh, she's gonna see the dust. Oh, if I dust, then it's gonna look a little bit better for her. And I just want her to be in a great mood when she comes home. And so you're trying to make everything perfect, and that's what Utah tried to do in tonight's game. They wanted to make it perfect for all the voters. They know that they're behind in this, and they know they've got to make it perfect. So they're out there dusting with some end around, some jet sweeps, some extra scores. They're out there working hard. They're, they're doing the dishes with some defensive stands in the second half, and they're doing everything they can to impress Mama when she walks in the back door. And I... It was very clear. I agree with you. It was very clear that you saw the Utes and specifically Andy Ludwig getting aggressive in the fourth quarter in a situation where you would have never guessed that the Utes would have thrown the ball on first down, You know, getting into the red zone, trying to be aggressive. I'm not sure I buy that style points are really what Kyle Whittingham's thinking about because I still feel like that's kind of the BCS era mentality. But I'll be danged if I'm going to sit there and be a playoff committee member. And what if you know Utah won by one in a last-minute field goal against a bad Colorado team? I would have a different impression yep. than what I saw tonight. And I thought the Utes would win. I picked 44 to 14. You were right on it. What did it finish? 45, 45, 15. Because I, I thought what you would see was a more dominant first half from the Utes. Uh, they always have big second quarters, and that was their big jump. But man, the the air that you felt. Early on in that game, the air that was around this Colorado offense when they scored first, they put together a decent drive. Both teams were trying to screw this thing up early. There was weird nerves before this game. Ugly first quarter. Damari Simpkins had a really bad first quarter. He made a couple of mistakes, and then he turned it around and bounced back with an incredible punt return. But that's why football games are 60 minutes long. Sometimes you got to make those adjustments. Maybe it was senior night. I'm telling you, it's so weird when you're trying to go out there and win a Pac-12 championship. And then right before the game, you got to kiss your mom and dad. Yeah. You got to see your cousins and all this stuff like that. We were watching the highlights of it. I told you, the Utes do the senior night thing before the game, and it, it, it allows for a weird 
atmosphere before a football game. You don't want to be thinking about your family. Yeah, it just doesn't feel right. But look, they shook it off finally. They shook it off. And like you said in the pregame show, you said that you believed Colorado was going to get a quick start. Utah might be a little shaky because of it, but then Utah would score, they would start the ball rolling, and that they'd end up with 40-plus points. And lo and behold, 45-15, Utah gets the style points that I think that they need. Oh, man, but this is still going to be a tough race. Uh, Now, out of respect to Utah fans, I'm just going to give you this in advance. We're not going to do a lot of the playoff talk. We'll save that for the morning after. Tomorrow, Scotty, Lloyd, myself, we do the morning after podcast. So we'll get that posted by about 1030, where we'll break down some of the college football playoff picture. But, Gunther, I really want to just stick on this game. And I want to talk about some of the specifics of what we saw tonight. What did you see with Tyler Huntley in the first quarter and dabbling into the second quarter and spots in the third quarter that you didn't see at bulks of the second and into the fourth quarter? I thought Tyler Huntley in the first half and certainly in the first quarter, after his first read wasn't there, he was unwilling to look at his second read. He was too quick to take off and scramble. And I don't know if it's because he wanted to make the plays himself uh, or if Colorado truly was covering up Utah's receivers. I, I got a hard time believing that the latter was the case. I think Tyler Huntley was pressing. I think he was trying to do too much of what we saw in 2017 and 2018 from Tyler Huntley. Whereas in the second half, you saw him throwing the ball on play action to tight ends or to Jalen Dixon. Uh, Tyler Huntley's great against zone coverage. You want to run a square in. Tyler Huntley can wait and throw the ball behind a linebacker. He's great at that. But he struggled early and the Utes turned the ball over and Zach Moss wasn't having success early because Colorado had eight and nine guys in the box. Colorado's game plan was pretty good in the first quarter. Mm -hmm. But then what happened? They basically did nothing. I don't think they got a first down again until the fourth quarter. Yeah, the, the, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, end of the third quarter. I think they maybe had one or two first downs total before that. Maybe maybe none. But they do have Lavishka Chenault, and Colorado was clearly playing hard there. Uh, they were playing hard. Well, early on, you could tell this was a fighting. physical game. Yeah. There were some actual fights going on. Yeah, they wanted to stay in this thing. I think Mel Tucker should get a lot of credit for that, because Colorado teams under Mike McIntyre would have folded in the second quarter there. The Utes have that style of play, though, with their defense. Uh, that y- You might break a couple of tackles. Colorado put together one nice drive, and then what happened? Uh, Morgan Scally was flipping coverages. You saw Terrell Burgess line up on one hash, and then in the middle of the play, or you know, right before the play, he'd run to the opposite side of the field. He's getting down into the box. That's all Morgan Scally guessing right. And, you know, we say guessing right, but when you watch film and you predict it's going to happen, it's not a guess. I mean, Morgan Scally's got his guys lined up, and I, this might be the best Utah defense ever. Like we talked about in the pregame show, Kyle, we were talking about the depth of the defensive tackles, and we saw Colorado was having some success. They were they were getting through the B-gaps. They were finding a little bit of push. They were getting the run game rolling. In fact, they were at fourth and five on the Utah 35-ish. They're at fourth and five, and they're able to find a lane, and they convert on the fourth and five, and that's the drive that they end up with the touchdown. And you're thinking, what is going on? Well, the interiors, they make a quick switch. They go to Moala and Tonga, and you see they shut down the middle. 
You see Leckie and Penasini go off. They get a break. They come in after about six plays. The guards are like, what is going on, man? Then you got the press. It shuts down the run, starts to force Montez into the pass. Montez can't drop a uh, – he cannot hit a, a broadside of a barn through the second quarter, and Utah just capitalizes, man. They just do what they do on defense. I want you to talk a little bit about Zach Moss in the second half of this game. You know, I, I think what a guy like Zach Moss can do is he can wear on you. And what that means is he, he does the same thing in the first quarter that he does in the third quarter, but he doesn't get tired, whereas the opponent does get tired. Zach Moss gets better as the game wears on. We saw John White, the fourth, do this a lot with the Utes. He was having 30 and 35 carry games. The best backs traditionally get better as the game goes on. Now, everybody's going to get banged up and tired, but a running back has that vision. And I thought Zach Moss in the first half had a couple of really nice cuts, and then I thought a couple of times he made the wrong cut. And that happens. You guess wrong. You tried to slip one inside, and instead you, you pass up four yards to lose a yard. That happens to even the best backs. But then you saw him start to break tackles. And when Colorado's linebackers were a step slow in the third quarter, and then you break a tackle, all of a sudden you get an eight-yard run. And that gives you an opportunity to have a short yardage situation. Right. So you get second and short. Then oh, you talk. And the and, whole world's open, man. Then you can start to take risks. Yep. And you know, worst case, you get into third and short. And the Utes were converting there, but it's very clear too that no one has no one has respected Utah's fly sweep motion the last few weeks mm-hmm. because Brant Keithy is able to just either you want to hand in the ball or throw it to him. That sweep motion is not usually for a tight end when a guy's running parallel to the line of scrimmage, either pre snap or during the snap. Because typically tight ends are not fast enough to run that play. No, if you're motioning your tight end, a lot of times you're motioning that tight end to block in man where Moss slips right under him. So a lot of times you just in motion, you're looking at him like, oh, he's blocking. It's a decoy. He's blocking and Moss is going to slip underneath. But then you hand the decoy the ball like five times in the last two games and he's got five touchdowns. I think it's four rushing touchdowns or whatever it is. Yeah. Brant Keithy had a rushing touchdown tonight and technically two of them were receiving, but he had two rushes last week for a touchdown on the end around. And so when you do that, when you hand the ball to the tight end on that end around, well, then every other time that you don't hand him the ball and you run that motion, a linebacker has to be dedicated to Keithy. So a linebacker has to leave the box to go run with a tight end who's only had three carries all year, and that frees up a spot in the middle of the defense for a running back like Zach Moss to get penetration. I want everybody to mark my words right here because – what you've seen over the last couple of weeks with the jet sweep, the end around with Keithy, is going to play large in the Oregon game. I think that Ludwig's the type of coordinator that's going to play off the success of that. Like Gunther talked about, you've got three touchdowns off that jet sweep, and you've got another 30 or 40-yard run, actually two other 30 or 40-yard runs off of it. You work off of that. You fake the handoff, you roll back to the right, and you throw back to that fake sweep. Or you work some type of form off of that. And there's so many things that you can do to draw defenses. And I think that they're going to work Oregon on that fake jet sweep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you have to respect it now. Right. And the second that Oregon gets cocky with it and tries to stay home, then they just hand the jet sweep and he's off to the races. It's That Keithy jet sweep has just changed the format. I would have never guessed before the season that Utah's leading receiver Throughout the entire year, and this was these stats haven't been updated, but on the season so far, even you know, obviously it's going to stay the same because he was the leading receiver again tonight. Brant Keithy's your leading receiver on this football team, yeah. In terms of uh, overall yards, uh, he's got four receiving touchdowns, which is also the most there. But he's a two hundred and twenty pound shaggy haired combo tight end, kind of a beefy receiver. The Utes don't even need him to block that much. 
He do, he does a little bit. He and, does, and when he and, does, when he's asked to, he's, he does okay. But he blocks out of the H back. Yeah, yes, and because that gives him a little extra room to yep. sort of work his hips. He doesn't have to just drive somebody off the line. But you, you saw early on in the year, the first month of the season, let's say, I thought Utah's tight ends were really struggling blocking and also you know you can't just be a pass catcher out there or you're just a chubby receiver because if you're a tight end you need to be able to block too otherwise you're not fulfilling that role since then you've seen that role change and Keithy's a matchup nightmare for linebackers he's clearly too fast for them he's too big for safeties in some of these matchups but then also his ability to be handed the ball it confuses the hell out of defenses because normally if a receiver runs a fly sweep all you got to do is just match your speed on the outside and you know you're eventually going to run him down if a tight end can do that he can weave it inside and he can find weird ways to make that play work but again it's an addition that the Utes add to their offense Tyler Huntley I thought started this game a little shaky you know Tyler Huntley on the year has is it is it two interceptions all year? I don't think he threw one tonight. I'm trying to, no, he didn't throw one tonight. Tyler Huntley has so he's got 21 touchdowns right now and two interceptions. So that to me strikes me as a guy who's trying so hard to not throw an interception that when his first read isn't there, like you saw in the first half against Colorado, rather than throw the ball away or, or maybe make something happen to the side, he says, "No, I'm going to tuck it because I don't want to turn that ball over and I'm going to yeah. run." And that's okay until you realize Tyler Huntley had 10 carries tonight. None of which hardly were on design runs. Yeah, that's ten times you leave yourself open to t- to get hit out there. Mm-hmm. And I know it's easy when you're watching the game with a Dr Pepper in your hand to say, "Get up, come on!" It's not that big of a hit. Oh man, has a grown man ever hit you in the spleen? Yeah, dude, it hurts it's with pads. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's cold out there. And he took a couple of shots tonight. Only from and a nose guard, and there was uh, those nose guards only go three ten. Huntley's tough as nails. You saw the shot he took a couple of weeks ago too. Yeah, but still, we saw him on the sideline and talking with Doctor Petron. And anytime you see Petron down at somebody's level, and you're like, oh man, Doctor Petron is a great doctor. He operated on my foot. I love him, but yeah, yeah he's not there to flirt with you. He's no, not no. there to talk football. He's he, talking he, to the doc. It's he, no good. He's there to take your helmet. Like he's there to hey he's got a little assistant by him and all he has to do is turn to that assistant and say get the helmet and you know when you hear the words get the helmet you're sitting for a bit and you're no good to the team at that point so it it, it worries me when he takes the shots ten carries too much you could basically combine three games he had eight in the last, he had eight carries in the last two combined and it's just. For one reason or the other, he started to drop his head. I don't know if he wasn't trusting his reads, but there was a, a softness in the front part of the pocket. You know, you got those edge rushers that were coming quick. Colorado was going out in jet formation. They were lining up about a yard and a half outside the tackles, and they were trying to speed rush on Paulo, and they were trying to speed well, rush. But go, go into what that means, so to have a have a, a pocket in the front or a soft spot in the front. Yeah, so basically you've got the Kyle Gunther who's up front holding your one technique. An on incredible a, center, yes. On a double with the right guard, and then you've got your left guard who's basically stalled out. Nick Ford's stalling out, or Braden's is stalling out on that other three technique. And all Huntley's got to do is just, and he's done it before. He did it against UCLA, and I, I saw him do it against Washington. Just take a, a one shuffle step forward, those ends rush deep, and then throw the ball. You, you got to step up towards the center. You yeah. got to step up towards the middle of the pocket because they they call it a pocket for a reason because it's a pocket that's right. designed by the offensive line to protect the quarterback. So if you want to scramble out, you got to find a hole in the inside versus trying to reverse course and do a, a spin out and try to run around the tackle and the D end. That's that's rarely going to work. And so, taking a shot on the yeah. But Huntley, you know, a lot of times when you see guys get 
shaky in the pocket, it's because there's penetration right in the middle. Maybe a nose guard yeah. is pushing you back, and so the quarterback doesn't have room to step up. But Huntley had that room to step up, and to me, I think he was terrified of throwing that interception. Not terrified, that's the wrong word. He, Huntley's trying so hard to not turn the ball over. He says, if my well, first read's not there, I'm not going to take undue risks. And it seems like he'd rather just dive forward and try to scramble. You guys saw when he threw the second one how disappointed. He was disgusted in himself. That second one, you're like, it's only number two, and he's you know throwing his head down, and you could tell that the last thing that that kid wants to do in this world is throw an interception and have to go face Kyle Whittingham or Ludwig or anybody on the sideline. I know Ludwig's up in the booth, but having to face anybody on the sideline after he just he doesn't want to do it. It's the end. Of, but the thing is, Kyle, he's been throwing high downfield percentages, and he's not throwing picks. So just stay with it. I did see on one deep ball, Dixon probably had a four, maybe five yard step on the corner. And a typical ball that Huntley has hit this year, he overthrew it. Now, he threw one beautiful ball into the back of the end zone, and we're talking about, what, three inches from being a touchdown? Uh, to Jalen Dixon. To it should have been. Dixon. I mean, they challenged it. It should have. You know, it probably should have been a score, but obviously, yeah, it was, it was close. But it was so still, close. It was a great throw. It was a good throw. But it, it, it feels weird to talk about a quarterback struggling at times who threw 14 to 17 passes. Yeah, I know. But the percentages are there. In all actuality, there's 10 rushing attempts that shouldn't be there. Huntley should have been more of like a 15 of 27, 16 of 27 passing. He, he should have attempted more of those passes and those scenarios where he was clearly trying to protect the football. So that's why the percentages look the way they do. Tyler Huntley's very efficient. But if he struggles at the beginning of that Oregon game in the championship game, right. then the concern is what if the Ducks get up 14 nothing? Because maybe there's a muff punt. Huntley's a little slow. Maybe he, he tucks the ball too much. He takes a sack. All of a sudden, Oregon's up 7 nothing or 14 nothing, And then you've got a team that can actually beat you at that it, point. You where can't have that slow start. Colorado got up 7 nothing. Who cares? My but, goodness. What are they going to do after that? How are they going to adjust after that? And they didn't. But the nice thing is, this isn't going to be senior night. There aren't going to be distractions for this team. Uh, Kyle Whittingham can really bear down on this thing and get, get all the team focused and... Yeah, it's in Levi Stadium, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, Santa Clara. So you head to Santa Clara, Levi Stadium, and I just think that the focus and the and the team environment, I think everything's going to be be different and a little bit better. You, you're right, Gunther. You can't come out and start slow like that. Shout out to Damari Simpkins again, who's in a spot where a lot of us athletes have been. You struggle early yeah. on, and you get in your head. You make a mistake, and it feels like made two. The, well, yeah, he made the one mistake, mm-hmm. and then. He muffed the punt, and then he had, or yeah, then he screwed up the the punt. Uh, you know, letting it go in the end zone there, and, yeah. you, and you realize, okay, it feels like the whole world is staring at you, wondering what's going on. And as an athlete, then you got to decide: Am I going to fold, or am I going to turn it around? And Simpkins turned it around, had the amazing punt return. But that's also why. When you have success playing football, all the girls come after you. Yeah. It's a high-pressure situation. If you screw up, everybody laughs at you and says, you suck, what are you doing? But then when you score the punt return, you're the man. High fives everywhere. That's the beauty of football. It's the highs and the lows. You don't get the highs without the lows. Yeah. But it was an amazing response from a Utah team that I don't think they were unprepared. I think it was more that Colorado came out. They had a good defensive line. Colorado played about as good of a game as they could have in the first quarter. And then, yeah, Utah's defense put the clamps on him. Got a couple of stops. You know, Lavishka Chenault lost Colorado this game. It was after they scored. On their next possession, they were putting together another drive, and Chenault got a false start. Or, you know, he, like, he, I think he was lined up wrong, and they got a five-yard penalty, and then they got a sack, and that screwed up all of Colorado's momentum. Well, that was the possession after Lavishka Chenault was shushing the muss. He was getting into it with the crowd and yucking it up. The next possession, he gets a false start, wets the bed. 
and Colorado's chances are over after that. That's kind of the epitome of what Colorado is. What, you hung with the Utes for a quarter? Yeah. And you're going to start yucking it up to the crowd? You guys, what's Colorado been to two bowl games in the last eight years? And you're shushing the muss? Yeah. So, guys like to get into it. I'm not trying to harp on Chenault there, but he's supposed to be your number one leader. And you get up 7 nothing on a top five team in the country, and you're going to start, what, hooting and hollering? Mel Tucker at halftime? Did you hear what he said at halftime? We took these guys' best shot. We're not afraid of these guys. We're right in there with it. You're not. You were down, was at 17-7 at that point. You had no momentum. The Utes dominated the third quarter. It felt like Colorado didn't have the ball in the third quarter. And that goes back to what Andy Ludwig was brought in to do, yep. to lead with the run. That means on just about every single first down, you're going to run the ball. And if you do want to mix it up, run a toss play, run a screen play, high percentage plays. And then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter when no one expects it, you throw the ball on first down and you're a genius. You're like uh, the Mad Hatter. Yeah. But it's about knowing when to pick and choose your spots. And he when- does it. He's, he's in his own, isn't he? You watch Ludwig's calls, and it's like – I talked about this after the UCLA game. You see a shooter, and he's, he's not missing, and he's hitting mid-range, and he's dropping him on the perimeter, and it feels like the rim is three, four times wider than it actually is, and you, they're in a zone. It, the quarterbacks can get in it. Shooters can get in it. Running backs can get in it. Defensive linemen, ins, rush-ins can get in it. And Ludwig's in it as a play caller right now. And it comes off the versatility of Tyler Huntley's efficiency, Zach Moss's power, and now Brent Keithy's really versatility. And then Zach Moss loses his helmet for a play, and they put in Brumfield. He runs straight ahead. Yeah. Or uh, Simpkins was struggling early on. They found... Jalen Dixon. The receivers are getting covered up. No Brian Thompson. They've thrown the ball to Brant Keithy all of a sudden. Fotheringham had another uh, nice play, didn't he? He had another one. Yeah, he had a grab. Yeah, he Uh, did. He he made a nice play there, but uh, you've got that margin for error as well. You know, let's not just beat up on Tyler Huntley for running the ball, too. He had a couple of nice scrambles that extended the drive. Right, right. And that is every defensive coordinator's worst nightmare, because there is no scheme defensively that you you can design to compensate for the extra offensive player carrying the football and that's what the quarterback is normally as a defense you have a, a, an advantage you have one extra guy because the quarterback's not blocking it usually they're usually not running it well when you cover everyone's receivers and the backs are in blocking and the quarterback instead of just throwing the ball away decides to scramble and go run well there's no defensive there's no defensive player that's that's waiting on that quarterback you're not going to run a spy coverage on Tyler Huntley so that's an advantage that few teams have and obviously as a defense you're you're looking for that quarterback to leave the pocket so you can injure him, so you can hurt him. But Tyler Huntley's so quick and get out of bounds, and he did a nice job of that. But his legs were an asset today. I just thought early on he was relying too much on his legs. Yeah. And there was a couple times, too. He did move the pocket and extended the play. The one that comes to mind, you had Brent Keithy running an out slant and basically turned it into a go route. It was kind of a, a slant and go, but it was it – was, I don't think it was designed that way. I think it was a scramble uh, – a scramble reaction by Keithy where then he just turned it into a go and Huntley you know threw it over the top. Huntley can extend things and and he can make things really difficult. I just don't want him to get into the habit of instead of sliding into the pocket and finding a crossing route and I'll do a film review on on this specific play. You had a crossing route coming right across the formation and all Keithy had to do or sorry all that Huntley had to do was take that half slide step forward and deliver that ball and we I've seen him do it probably four or five times this year. I know he's very capable, and I know he trusts Yumana. 
and I know he trusts Braden Daniels, and I know he has faith in, in Nick. If I just slide forward, I'm not going to take a shot from a 320-pounder. They're, they're holding him up, and they were holding him up. And I'm, I just want to show that you've got to do that against Oregon. Oregon is going to bring the speed edges. Sit, Get up into that soft pocket and throw that football because I, I, I don't want you to extend. I don't, I don't want to have to turn it into a scramble route. I feel like there was, that I can remember, there was one drop-back pass all game from Tyler Huntley that was not play action, meaning just a true get the snap, get yourself into, I think it was a five or a seven step drop because Huntley doesn't do that very often. Andy Ludwig doesn't like doing that very often because very few quarterbacks, unless you're Peyton Manning, are comfortable sitting there on a five or a seven step drop. That's a lot of time to be sitting in the pocket. You've got different reads to go through. Most spread offense quarterbacks are comfortable with three step drops. You plant your back foot and you throw. You throw on timing and you throw on rhythm. But for the most part, Tyler Huntley was throwing deep on those play action throws that are designed uh, they're designed to capitalize on what Zach Moss does. Zach Moss beats you up the entire first quarter or the first part of every drive. Maybe you get a first down. Maybe you get a second first down. And that's when you work the play action. But it is so easy, especially after a sudden change, a big turnover. It's so easy to, th- to think, let's just throw it over the top. Let's get aggressive. You can't do that because then you're looking at second and 10. Second and 10 is a very lonely down if you don't have success on first down. Because what are you going to do on second and 10? Okay, run the ball. Great. You get three yards. It's third and seven. Third and seven is not a high percentage down. You want to get into third and less than five. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you almost always have to run the ball on first down or try to get positive yards on first down. Spent a lot of time on this Utah offense. We'll take a short break. We'll come back. We're going to get into the Utah defensive side of things. We're going to talk about some of the performances defensively. What did we see? Somebody might have broke the record tonight. We'll talk about who that is, and we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about what was happening on the interior for this Utah defense. We'll get into some Kyle Whittingham sound. You'll hear from him and much more. Hans Olson and Kyle Gunther here on your Utah post game show ninety. 12 into the zone in the Zone Sports Network. Huntley off the play fake. Nearly taken down in the backfield on the run. He'll lock one. Enzo got a man. It's caught. Touchdown. It's Brad Keithy for the score. We talked about the explosiveness of Keithy. And I believe he's the next star. But that play was all Tyler Hundley. They had the pressure. He was dead to rights in the backfield. He makes one guy miss, extends the play, and gets a big touchdown. This Utah defense holding teams to about 58 yards per game on the ground. Uh, let's see. So the last time I charted it, I think that it was they're number one in the country holding teams to 56 yards per game on the ground. I don't know how much that's changed, but I haven't seen a team go over three figures on them in a long time. Colorado's the same way. They end up with 60 yards rushing in this game. Well, yeah, I was going to say 60 for Colorado tonight is about on par for what the Utes have done. I've never seen a defensive line be this deep and this good for the Utes. Uh, did we forget about Max Tupai? He had an incredible sack tonight. Yeah. He feels like the the fifth guy we mentioned on the D-line. It feels like we, we mentioned more D-tackles than him. Uh, Mika Tafua's had a nice year as well at yeah, times. Uh, Bradley and I is very close to being the all-time sack leader in the history of the Pac-12. Yeah, you not just the, Utah, the, the University of Utah, but the whole Pac-12. Well, you can't do that if you're in slugfests. If every ball game is 7-10, to 10, both teams are going to run the football. You can't get sacks if the other team's running the football. So the fact that the Utes have been up so much this year by two and three scores well when you're entering the third drive of the third quarter and you're down three scores you can't run that iso play 
So Colorado, like UCLA, like Arizona, we've seen these teams get behind the eight ball and they have to start throwing it. And all of a sudden, you're trying to throw the ball deep for the third time in the same drive. And Bradley and I comes around the edge and just whops. It just hits you right in the side. Yep. And then the, how about the nastiness that was going on after a couple of plays? Colorado had a little bit of fight in them. Bless their heart. There's some shoving and some uh, unnecessary roughness calls which I always think is the most effeminate thing you could do in a football game, unnecessary roughness. Call, find some other way to, to phrase it. But uh, because I'm a member of the Crimson Club Hall of Fame hands, yeah, I just received an email from the University of Utah. Okay, This came uh, at 8.49 p.m. So this must have been essentially the moment the game ended. It says the Utes are Pac-12 champs, Pac-12 South champs, and I got a, uh, an offer here to buy tickets to the championship game, Utah and Oregon, Levi Stadium. Tickets are on sale now, starting at 65 bucks. I, I noticed you already purchased them, so you're headed out there, huh? Yeah, I'm going to be uh, scalping some <laughs> tickets out there. I bought them for 65 Now, guess what? Day of the game, I'll take 110 for them. Six, 68. <laughs> 68. No, I'm going for three three digits. Going three digits I'm on th- them? Th- that's what they call me, three-digit Gunther. Steven Montez goes 17 to 26 for 157 yards. Ends up with two touchdowns uh, through the air, but 17 to 26 for 157. Talk about the back end of this defense, Gunther. Didn't see Jalen Johnson's name very often, and obviously uh, LaVisca Chanel ends up as your leading receiver four catches for a grand total of 43 yards. Jalen Johnson gave up two slant routes and uh, a little bit of a seam route. Uh, you, you know, you're never going to hardly ever hold a guy to zero yards receiving. Lavishka Chenault's going to be a first round pick. He's a very talented player. But you're right. We hardly heard Jalen Johnson's name because that's what a good corner should do. We saw a lot of other guys getting thrown to, and Colorado doesn't have the receivers to do that. Right. Their third receiver, uh, Dimitri Stanley, for example. You know, you can put Utah's third corner on him. He ain't getting open. Mm-hmm. So if you can shut down Lavishka Chenault, which it also felt like Utah was doubling him a lot of the night. They said, you you will not beat us with him. Yeah, it's felt like, like they, they had him over the top a lot. When you're trying to play the Lakers, you, you know, you got to try to do your best to shut down LeBron. Maybe somebody else can beat you. You know, you want to try to make the ancillary pieces beat you. And mm-hmm. Chenault is very much the LeBron James of this team. He's a very talented player. And Jalen Johnson was in a physical matchup. Jalen Johnson's not the biggest guy. He's maybe 6'1". He's maybe 190, 195. He's a big corner, but Chenault's much bigger than that. So Jalen Johnson was an outstanding player tonight, uh, but Utah's corners are as good as any corners they've ever had. There were a couple plays tonight out of the linebackers that I wanted to talk to you about. Devin Lloyd ends up with a sack. At one point, you said, wow, Francis Bernard, look what he did there. Talk about the uh, talk about the sack from, from Lloyd and talk about that play. I'm trying to remember the exact point of it, but I know that it caught you because you were like, Francis. Well, because he came from the backside. He came from that rover position. He was on, he was essentially the farthest point from the formation he could, and he clearly read that it was an outside zone play to his left. He's lined up to the defense's right, and he just makes a beeline at the perfect angle, dips in between two blockers, and makes a tackle. Maybe they gained a yard or something, but he covered so much ground. But the thing that stood out was he recognized the play instantly, and he ran to the right angle, and he made the tackle. Whereas Devin Lloyd, he makes plays because he is supremely talented physically. Devin Lloyd's fast. Francis Bernard's very fast, too, I'm sure, but he makes his plays based on not wasting steps, not wasting footwork, taking the right angle to squeeze in between two blockers, knowing when to take on a guard and when to try to slip underneath him. But also, that's film study. That's Morgan Scally telling you, when you read this key, the running zone to the right, get there now, and he did. Uh, but Devin Lloyd is as talented of any linebacker as I've seen at Utah ever. He's bigger than Stevenson Sylvester. 
he doesn't have the production yet. Devin Lloyd's still in his first year playing, but man, I remember that being such a big talking point before the year when Manny Bowen left. Like, wait a minute, this was supposed to be the year. Now what are they going to do? And Devin Lloyd's 6'3", 230 pounds. He's a freak in nature himself. How about that cowboy collar, though? Yeah. I, you know, I was a neck roll guy back in the day. Really? I neck rolls were What cool. do you say back in the day? How far back in the day? Well, in high school for sure. Okay. And then when I got to Utah, so I wanted to do two things when I got to Utah. I wanted to be an offensive lineman without gloves because I thought gloves were for, were for little girls. Yeah. And after about three days of practice, I had severe cuts from different buckles and helmets and everything. My hands were just screwed up, so I had to put gloves on. Okay. But I also wanted to keep my neck roll because I thought it made me look badass. Yeah. And then they moved me it to- It kind of does. It does. But then they moved me to center, and then you have to try to look up to try to snap the football, and I realized the cowboy collar was pushing my head down, Yeah, or, or the, the neck roll was, so I'm essentially in my three-point stance looking straight at the ground. And the coaches were saying, how come you can't see these linebackers? You're missing everybody. Well, sometimes it felt more comfortable to look at the ground because sometimes you look at those bigger guys that are mean and they scare you. So you look at the ground and you're like, you know, this is nicer. Who's the scariest guy you, you remember playing against? <laughs> uh, Alonzo Spellman was was uh, was pretty rough. He was a pretty rough dude. Um uh, my first time on an NFL field, it was against the Rams, and I remember staring down Orlando Pace was was a pretty gnarly dude. He's six foot eight. Yeah, he was and six foot nine. I came in. It was the back end of the third quarter. My it was my first my first game in the NFL, and it was back end of the third quarter. I come running in. And the Rams were already up on us by like fourteen or seventeen. And I heard Orlando go, oh, nice, fresh meat. I'm just like, oh, man, just don't eat me, man. Just don't eat me. And so, yeah, Did you survive? Some, some pretty gnarly dudes. Did you ever watch Alonzo Spellman? Oh, man, he was a nightmare. Yeah. That guy was a nightmare. He uh, was just extremely strong. We played against Tommy Blake at TCU one year, who was the Playboy All-American, uh-huh. and we were all ready for him. Their D tackles that year were the only guys I ever played against who were anywhere near as good as what Utah had in practice. And I remember this guy. I don't remember his name, but he was number 57. He's a very large gentleman, obviously from Texas or something. He had an interesting accent. And uh, I was a very dirty player. So if I ever had a chance to, I'd jab you in the chin or something. I'd try mm-hmm. to get under your face mask. And I did one time. I, I, I think I hit him in the jaw or something. And he gave me this look the very next play he got his entire hand up inside my face mask before i knew what was going on and he was trying to gouge my eyes out and i realized at that moment i did start it that's payback I got, I got my hand i got his hand out of there <laughs> and he called me a name that i, I want to try to describe on the radio if i can he called me a, a combination it was a, it was a three-tiered insult he called me a gardening tool donkey racial slur oh man if i can do, i can't say exactly what he called me yeah. it was a, a gardening tool combined with a donkey with and then a racial slur and the funny thing was it was not even a race i've that, got it yeah. it wasn't a race that i was a part of uh <laughs> it was an interesting it was a word you know i don't use i can't use that word you know yeah. i don't use it uh but uh he called it he said it to me and i said that's that's wild <laughs> and uh, we had quite a fun battle after that we kept, i think he bloodied my nose after that he got me got me in the nose but i was pretty terrified after that he kept calling me racial slurs and i thought i, I don't know how to respond to that i just did my ancestry dna kit you're way off man buddy way I, off that that's not what they call us norwegians buddy i don't know <laughs> are you saying norwegian uh, oh you're so saying good. 
something that different there. Uh, you know, it's funny. The fear thing yeah. is something that I was always terrified before the game. I was so terrified before the very first offensive drive. You watch kickoff or, you you know, maybe you go out there and Utah loves to defer because Whittingham loves to defer. Oh, yeah. So typically, you'll start out with the defense out there on the field. You watch between three and five or ten snaps, whatever. And when you're sitting on the sideline and you – you hear that the offense is up. I always used to stand next to Zane Beatles. We played guard. He played guard. I was a center. And before every game, we'd look at each other before the first snap, and we'd headbutt each other as hard as we could to get your mind ready, I guess, for the impact mm-hmm. of the concussive trauma that was coming. Yeah. And I'd run out there on the field, and I'm telling you, my butt was puckered. You couldn't squeeze a greased BB out of there. Really? It's that I was, The first snap, I was so terrified. <laughs> I was going to fall start, bad snap, whiff, get injured. <laughs> Because you're watching films. Those are all good things to have in your mind. Well, it, it did. They did happen sometimes. Uh, a lot for me, actually. Uh, but yeah, you watch guys on film, and you think this guy's pretty good, and you see him, you're like, "Dang, he's bigger than I thought." Uh, man, he, he's got a gold tooth. Uh, man, that guy's got neck tattoos. Uh, okay, all right, all right. He's got R.I.P. Uh, Thirty-seven names on his arm. Okay, this guy's been through some stuff. Why is he leaving his tongue out of his mouth? My dad worked for 3M. We had a company car. I'm not used to this kind of stuff, man. Does he have a cold? What's the snot coming? What? Why don't you sniff that or wipe it? It's what is going on? You look mean. And and then we played in the Armed Forces Bowl in 06 against Tulsa. The team was awful. But we're watching film on their nose guard. Their nose guard was 6'5", 355. Uh-huh. And we get there in the game, that dude was 375. Was he? 380. He was a monstrous man. The worst player I've ever played against. Utah gets the win 45-15 to over the Colorado Buffaloes. I want to jump into this. You talked about Damari Simpkins' slow start. He uh, downed the ball in the end zone, and it was a touchback. It could have been downed on the one-yard line. It was brutal. Then he didn't fair catch, took a nasty shot, fumbled a punt, and uh, Utah did recover it, but it was just a really bad start for Damari. But I wanted to make a point of this, guys. How about the special teams tonight? So you hit a field goal, you're one-on-one a field goal, is a 23-yarder, and you got two punt returns that were electric and spectacular. So going into this game, remember we were talking about, you said, Hans, what's your worry? I said the pregame, or sorry, the the, uh, special teams, and Jeez, man, special teams was fantastic. Uh, perfect on extra, extra points, perfect on field goals, two electric punt returns, good field position. Uh, I, I don't know. Other than the muffed punt by Damari and then the, the issue that he had in the first quarter by downing it in the end zone, it was there were some really electric moments for the special teams. I love watching football with you because you and I both love watching the line of scrimmage. But deep down, I can tell you're – you got an eye for those defensive tackles, and that's that's your bailiwick, if yeah, you will. I like them. I, I love, and, and I certainly enjoy that too. I have more respect for D tackles than I do for the average offensive lineman because D tackles are better athletes. Typically, I can respect that more. I appreciate the battle going on back and forth. But one thing I noticed too with a lot of D tackles, they rope a dope you. They take plays yeah. off, and sometimes they'll disguise it as, "Oh, I'm stunting, so I got to run around the outside." No, dude, you're taking a play off, and Lecky Fotu does it. Starlow Tulele did it. Warren Sapp did it. They all do all it. the best D tackles do it. But how, how do you turn it back on? How does Lucky Fotu do that the next play and then just all of a sudden get in the backfield? He almost had a safety tonight. Yeah. Yeah, there was a couple of times where he got really quick press in the backfield. And, and then we watched him a couple of times and it was like, what are you doing now? Huh? You stood straight up. You're standing up. You're stiffer in a wedding night bow tie, dude. <laughs> yeah, like, they're just like, Patty K. And I'm like, what? 
but then all of a sudden he'll just blow you up. He'll turn you inside out. But it, but it is. It's kind of rope-a-dope. And I've, I've been the D-tackle that's done it, and I've been the guard that's tried to defend against it, and I hate it because it's unpredictable. And you have to take your sets as if you're going to get bull rushed like a banshee every single play, and then you take that set, and all of a sudden he bull rushes you at a different angle, and you get can open. You're ready for a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, and he – hits you with a 70 mile an hour pitch and then all of a sudden he hits you with another 70 mile an hour pitch and you think I'm wearing this guy down I got him and then wham he hits you with a 107 mile an hour fastball and knocks you in the dirt and that's what Lecky does and and that's what Penasini does but Penasini is the, he, he is the beneficiary of a double team off the play side Oftentimes they're doubling Lecky he holds up the double we saw it I think you and I both recognized it and saw it twice, and I know it's happened a lot more in that game, but just in, in basic run sets in the middle, Penasini or Tonga or anybody who's next to Lecky is going to clean up because they're trying to push the double, and the double can't leave. So then you've got Lloyd who scrapes. So he's just he's impressive. The special teams was nice. Felt like it was a trifecta from all three after the first quarter from all three teams getting engaged. Did it feel like Colorado's D-line stepped up and played well to shut down Utah's run game early, or was Zach Moss just out of it? What what was the cause of the run game issues for Utah well, early on? Remember the first thing I said. I said, "There's eight in the box." You know, when in the very first quarter, Colorado came out and they said. We don't care what happens in this game. Zach Moss isn't going to beat us. But then that's the beauty of Andy Ludwig because he keeps saying, yes, eventually he will because you've got to account for Keithy. So you better take a guy, you put him over the top of Keithy, and then you better take a guy that presses Keithy and runs with him. Well, that takes two guys. That takes one deep and one that presses. And then the next thing you know, you've got a weak edge and you started seeing Moss getting off, off tackle. Off tackle, off tackle. Yeah, because well, exactly. yeah, he wasn't running up the gut. You're right, you right. got to get to the edges. Right, then then you start to spread out a little bit. You take your one technique, you put him on the two, and he has to slant. And then you're taking your three technique, and you're trying to slant him into the powers, and you're trying to push to the outside. And as and soon as you do that, then the middle opens there's, up. There's the cutback. And we saw then Moss, he sees the flow, he, he's patient, he takes that nice step, and remember the... It's I like think a jump a, cut, yeah. I think you did a video on it, and all of a sudden, he sees the flow, everybody thinks he's going off tackle, he takes that step and cuts back into the gap behind the offside guard. And and then it's off for, I think that was his big run of 20-some-odd yards, whatever it is. He, he, I don't, he didn't, or 16 yards, I think it was. So... It just takes a minute, and teams are like, as soon as Andy Ludwig's like, oh, you think this is cute, so you think oh, you got a you're going to play eight the whole time? Well, they, they did. Colorado got a TFL in the first drive, and the second drive, you know, they held Zach Moss again. The Utes had 17 yards in the first quarter or something, and yeah, Zach Moss had a couple TFLs. Did they go away from the run game? No. No. No, and it didn't matter. You know, Colorado got up 7 nothing. The Utes didn't say, oh my gosh, we have to throw the ball every play. We have right. to turn into Washington State. No. Give Zach Moss the ball again. All of a sudden, the one-yard runs turned into three-yard runs. The three-yard runs became six-yard runs, and then you were yep. you were essentially just getting whatever you wanted in the fourth quarter against Colorado. Well, there was a point in this game where I think that uh, Moss was averaging like 2.3 yards per carry. He ends up with 20 carries for 88 yards at 4.4 yards per carry. Which you know, it's that's 
That's respectable. That's good that's, for most backs. It, that's good for most backs. I'm, I'm sure Moss isn't real happy with 88. Probably not real happy with 4.4. But well, but he's a, still the leading rusher in the Pac-12, and he has the most touchdowns on the ground in the Pac-12. And Zach Moss is just a beautiful running back. You know, you talk about that first step. That that cutback is so pretty, and what he's able to do in power run is so pretty. And he's definitely the backbone of this offense. Tyler Huntley got himself going there in the second half, the, the second quarter, and then going into the second half. Definitely things he could improve on. I'm actually glad he had this game before the Oregon game. I'm glad he had this quarter before the Oregon game because I think there's a lot to build on and a lot he can do better. Kyle Whittingham took to the podium after this game went final. We'll take a quick break, come back, hear from Kyle Whittingham, and we'll get some more thoughts on what we saw in the trenches from this game. Utah's offensive line. What happened in the first half of this game? What happened in the first quarter of this game? I know that a lot of people are wondering what Colorado was doing with their blitzing scheme. I'll tell you how they were getting pressure. Gunther's going to give you some ideas on what Utah was doing to get pressure and much more. That's all coming up on your Utah postgame show. Hans Olsen, Kyle Gunther here on 97.5, 12 into the zone on the Zone Sports Network. Hey, really quick before we jump out to uh, Kyle Whittingham's sound, we'll let you hear from him in the post game. So, Kyle, just to play devil's advocate, or just a, a little bit of concern, something that I want to see improve, or something maybe I shouldn't worry about. I want to throw at you. So, this is uh, I don't know what three games straight. Brant Keithy's leading receptions, and Brian Thompson goes down with injury last week, and Brian Thompson's been your best wideout from from. You know, from week one, I feel like he's been your best wideout and best outside option. Are you worried at all that if you take Keithy out of the game and, and you find a way to slow down the run game, that you don't have the receivers to really make the impact or have the impact you need? Well, I'm concerned if Utah's going up against Oregon, if they're going up against I don't know, Ohio State in the playoff, let's say. See, Ohio that's State a and Clemson were two, were two, I thought, man, if you don't have a nice wide receiving core on the outside – well, but my concern is not just that you can throw the ball to the tight end, whatever. I thought it was a little much. They compared Brant Keithy to Travis Kelsey tonight. I mean, that's a bit much. Keithy's had a really nice performance, but it's because Arizona doesn't watch film and they're an undisciplined team, and Colorado's an untalented, undisciplined team, so they didn't know what to do there. Oregon will know what to do. If you make the playoff, that team will know what to do with Brant Keithy. I'm concerned, though, that when a guy like Brian Thompson goes down, and I'm thinking about body style, who... Who is the best suited player to step up and fill that role? It's Solomon Enos, and we haven't seen enough of Solomon Enos. And he's been in, I, he was in there a little bit today. Maybe he's injured. Maybe I'm speaking out of school here, and and that's why he's not been as effective. But he's got the same skill, height, weight, speed. He should be able to get and, open and on those routes. What about Nakua? Yeah, Samson Nakua doesn't have the speed. And and I think that's the biggest difference. Brian Thompson had the size and the speed. He's got a weird body. Have you seen him? He's got oh, yeah. a big upper body. He's oh, yeah. he's got he looks like a basketball player, but he's physical too. And you need that size so that you can get open under press coverage. When you've got a guy in the line of scrimmage who's trying to jam you, he's trying to shove his hands into your chest to reroute you. If you're a hundred and 88 pounds like Jalen Dixon, that's going to work out one way versus, I, mean, I think Brian Thompson's 210 pounds. So you've got more power. 
so that you can break open those routes, catch a tough ball over the middle. Who's catching balls over the middle for this team? You can't just run rollouts to Brant Keithy all day. You can't against a crap team like Arizona. UCLA is one of the worst coach teams in the country. They're awful. You can do that against them. Oregon's got the speed at linebacker to cover Brant Keithy. They've got speed to cover. I mean, who's your number one receiver right now? Is it Jalen Dixon? And that's where my question comes from. If Brian Thompson's off the field, it's going to be Jalen Dixon. And and I don't disagree that it, it might need to be somebody else. But Derek Vickers had two catches for 15 yards. Jalen Dixon had three for 34. Damari Simpkins had two for 35. You know, I know that we talk about Damari and his returns. Simpson's not. He, Damari Simpkins is not a deep threat, though. No. I mean, he's kind of just more of a possession. Receiver. Well, you know, going through fall camp, there were two deep threats. It was Jalen Dixon and Brian Thompson. Those were the two guys that it was like, those are your burners. That's the gunners. That's the guy you're going to get it to over the top. And and so, you you know, you take Brian Thompson off the field. And Brian Brown, a producer back here. I know, Brian, I know you keep up on, on injuries and health and what's going on. Is Brian Thompson, is he going to be back for the Oregon game? I would not expect him to be back for that game. If he does come back, it's because he's found – Somebody's hyperbaric chamber and just slept in there twenty four seven. Yeah, quick recovery. Yeah, see that that's his injury. His injury is very similar to what Tyler Huntley has been playing through all year, Uh, and much different for a wide receiver to deal with. Yes, that's the hard part. Too much cutting. I think we've all forgotten too that there was a guy, a little fella, Britton Covey, who was a big part of that inside throw game, early screen game, early on. And when you got to worry about Covey in the inside slot, then all of a sudden Jalen Dixon can almost be an outside receiver because he can just use his speed to burn you on the outside. But when you've got more of a need in the slot and Jalen Dixon has to move into the slot, it's hard to run a vertical route inside because linebackers can hit you. The safety, you're right in front of the safety. How are you going to run past the safety? Versus if a safety's in the middle of the field and you're on the right hash, you've got an extra 15 yards to run past him for, you know, just for the sake of semantics here. So the fact that Jalen Dixon now has to move inside, I feel like is Solomon Enos trying to play that outside role? I mean, is Samson Nakua playing that outside receiver? And is that as effective as the Utes mm-hmm. could be? Uh, is that an issue that they'll address before? next week or maybe not because maybe Oregon's defensive line is not going to have as good of a night as Colorado did and maybe the Ducks never have to worry about stopping the pass because Zach Moss is running for four yards five yards a pop Tyrone Smith didn't end up with a reception tonight but I did see him in the slot tonight um I I know Brian you were talking about the freshman that was starting at wide receiver what what, what do you know about this kid and and how did he end up getting the start uh Devon Vele he's a kid out of Southern California somewhere San Diego area um he kind of showed up out of nowhere off a mission, uh, walked on, and just had a tremendous spring and carried all that over into the fall. So he's still a walk-on. He's not even on scholarship, but he was pushing. There was a point during fall camp where Guy Holiday was saying, we've got to make a decision because he's pushing these other guys to start right now. Yeah. And then he had a bad injury, and, and that kind of curtailed everything like that. He's seen some action here and there, kind of like Bam Olaseni, where you've seen him in spots, yeah. but not consistent. And so he's another one of those threats. You know, as you guys are talking about all this, it's interesting how Ludwig has layered this offense. Like, okay, stop Moss. All right, you stop Moss, we'll move on to Keithy. If you stop Moss and Keithy, then maybe we'll move on to the next thing. And that's, I think, what you're going to have to wait and see with Oregon. And what's crazy is if if you're going all in to stop one or the other, it opens the other. That's that's what's been incredible. But like Gunther said, though, and and I totally agree with this, 100%, you're going to face a team that knows how to take slow down the run enough that it's going to force you into third and six 
take Keithy out of it, whether it's a jet sweep or it's a quick post, and they're gonna eventually it's gonna be forced to a slot or or some type of deep, and you're gonna have to hit it. And and there's gonna have to you're gonna have to find a receiver that steps up and, many, and is consistent. How and many, without Brian Thompson, it worries me a little bit. How many four star defensive recruits does Oregon get every year versus Colorado? I mean, it's got to be five to one, if not more than that. The point I'm trying to make is, with all due respect to Brant Keithy, he's wowing these teams that don't watch film. Arizona is one of the most undisciplined teams you'll ever watch. They got guys running into each other, missing tackles. They're lined up in the wrong spot. They don't know what they're doing. That's an undisciplined team because it's a party school. Brant Keithy is not doing anything that's brand new in football. He's running a simple fly sweep motion. When a team prepares for it, that will be gone. But by preparing for it, what that means is they'll have to they'll have to assign a linebacker or whoever it is to Brant Keithy. And that will draw attention away from the run game. And that will open things up for him. And, and that's a positive sign. But uh, the Utes still need that receiver who can run a slant route and get open in between the linebacker and the corner and take a shot. You, you got to have a physical guy who can get hit by a linebacker and bounce back up. We haven't seen Solomon Enos do that. And I'm, I'm wondering if it's because he's injured or if he can't. Well, I've got to find wide view because in that first quarter, they were they were slowing the run down enough that it was forcing the pass, and they were taking Keithy enough out of the pass that it was forcing Huntley to look at the ground. Keithy doesn't run a 4-4. Right. I mean, it's, it's not that difficult to cover him. The right. fact that he's getting open so much tells me teams are not respecting him. And and that must have happened after the first quarter. Either you forget or, you know, or you're, you're, you're catching teams in some type of look that they haven't expected or like you said maybe they're just undisciplined because there was a time in that first quarter was like what are they doing in the back end and why why are none of the receivers popping free but then they would pan to the back view and you could see a crossing route coming free but Huntley dropped his head and was looking to rush so yeah I'm not so sure that the receivers were covered for Utah early I think yeah I think Huntley was getting his he was a little too sped up. I think he was a little too amped up for that game. And there was a little bit of pressure coming from Colorado. And I'll do some film review on that because Colorado was drawing up some blitzes and, and they were pressing inside on that pocket and forcing Huntley to do some things that maybe he is trying to get away from, but instinct kicks in and he's like, I got to survive. I got to survive and I got to keep this alive. And, and I don't want to see that from him. Mainly because if he takes the wrong shot and he's out, Jason Shelley's not beating Oregon. No. Jason uh, Shelley is well, not. Well, I mean, he he did beat him last year. I look, I'm, I'm with you on that. But Jason Shelley, he's a he's a good player. He's nowhere near as talented as Tyler Huntley is. The number one thing I'd love to see Tyler Huntley do that we've never seen him do in his career is throw a ball away, throw it out of bounds, throw it a mile into the stands. Obviously, you got to get outside the tackle box, but he has no problem doing that. I mean, Huntley lives outside the tackle box, so. Throw the ball away. He's willing to get two yards and take a hit. And and as soon as I as say that, option. obviously, I mean, the, the touchdown throw he had to Keithy was on a play that he extended with his legs. As you mentioned, Keithy ad-libbed and realized that there was an opportunity for him to break his route off, go deep. And that entire play happened because of Huntley's athleticism to get outside the pocket and create something. But you can't do it every play. I would love to see Huntley one time a quarter just throw the ball out of bounds if he gets into trouble. I think that would be beneficial. But that would affect his percentages, and, and maybe you know he's got that going on in his head. This Utah team still beats Oregon. I still am very happy with the offense. Uh, obviously, they had three quarters that wiped away the ugliness of the first quarter, and they're, they're, they're continuing to do things that are extremely special. Oregon is going to be much more difficult defensively. But here's the good news, people. You've got the number one defense in the country, and they're holding teams to three points, 
six points, six, 15 points. So they're giving your offense all kinds of opportunities. But Utah's offense puts up 45 points through three quarters, 17 points in the second, 14 in the third, and 14 in the fourth to put up 45 points in this game. Really nice night through three quarters from this Utah offense. Kyle Whittingham took to the podium to talk to the media about this Utah win on senior night against Colorado. Here's Kyle Whittingham. Okay, great uh, great way for our senior class to go out on their last home game here at Rice Eccles. Uh, I've been talking about them really since last spring ball and uh, just couldn't be prouder of a group. They've meant so much to our program. They had such a big impact on our program. And uh, they're special. They're a special group. And so it's great to see them uh, go out with this win, go out uh, back-to-back Pac-12 South champs. That's uh, something to be very proud of. And so uh, that's where it starts with, with those seniors. Um, we played well this this evening uh, once we got going. A little slow start. First quarter wasn't wasn't much. Uh, wasn't much. Uh, that we got accomplished. Uh, credit them. They played well in the first quarter, and we started to get some momentum, and then uh, really got uh, things going in the second half. Uh, played great defense again. Played the run tough. Uh, I think they ended up with 60 yards or somewhere in there. We ran the football effectively over 200 yards, and again, I say it every week, but that's that's a starting point for us. Uh, we took care of the ball on offense. We played third downs well on defense. Special teams showed up. A couple big punt returns that, that set up a field goal, and, and then one was for a touchdown. And so a lot of good things tonight. And, uh, you know, it was a good football team that we played. They had a lot to play for. They were playing for a bowl game. We got their best shot. And uh, it was good to see us uh, take control of the game in the second half and, and close them out. And, you know, now we're on a short week getting ready for for uh, Oregon down in uh, – or up in Santa Clara. And so we've got to get to work on them right away. And this, that's a big reason why a lot of these seniors came back. There are four or five of them that could have – could have uh, exited last year and, and turned professional, but uh, they had some unfinished business, and, and now they're back in, in position to, uh, to try to finish that business. So we'll see what happens. But uh, like I said, very proud of our team. Questions? Kyle, you, you urged uh, the fans on Monday to show up early to, to show, you know, show their support to the seniors. Do you feel like that the fans did that? Yeah, very appreciative of our fans. They were there. It was, uh, you know, it wasn't completely full, but there was a lot of people there to to acknowledge our seniors as they came out of the tunnel and um, I think our, you know, our seniors were were uh, very well uh, you know they were they were excited about that very grateful for that and I, again we appreciate our fans making that effort to, to get to the game early yeah well we feel like we're a complete team and that's something you, you got to be able to do if you're not getting we weren't getting any push on the line of scrimmage and they and credit them they, they got some big guys in there they played that odd front which is designed to funnel everything outside and not not let you run between the tackles but um we started getting pushed in the second half but you're right when we weren't uh, getting much done in the run game we we turned to keithy and he made some big plays for us and uh some big receptions and what as well as a couple big runs uh, from that little tight end uh sweep that uh andy has designed were you worried after the first quarter no not worried but uh not not pleased i mean we knew we could play better and and uh, you know we knew we were not uh, ourselves, and so we got things going. But but uh, no, not worried. How does it matter if 
execution, or did you make some adjustments after the slow? Both. You know, we started executing better, but we also started doing some things uh, differently schematically. And talking about offense now, defense was pretty solid from start to finish. They did give up that one touchdown early, but but uh, you know, at halftime, made some adjustments and and uh, just tried to uh, you know give, get what the defense was giving you instead of trying to force the ball in the middle. Uh, from the same town in Hawaii who got three sacks among them tonight. Uh, what what is it about them that makes them so effective, both uh, Mika and Bradley? Very good players, and, and Bradley is, I believe he tied the the all-time sack record tonight, and he's got more games to try to, uh, to break that record, so that tells you how valuable he's been over his career here. And so he's a he's a great pass rusher, and he's uh, destined for the for the National Football League. And you'll be watching him play for a lot of years. Meek is just a sophomore, so we got him back for a couple more years. And he's he's a tremendous player. He's uh, you know, those three DNs that rotate in there between Bradley, Mika, and then Max Dupai. That gives us a great presence on the edge of the defense. How Six days to prepare for Oregon instead. Does that change your week at all? It does. It does. We got a Monday is more like a Tuesday, and Tuesday's a Wednesday. You just got to get a day ahead, and we'll we'll have to get some meetings done tomorrow night to uh, to get ready for that. And and uh, it's you know we've done it before. It's nothing that we don't have a, a plan for, and a and a, a uh, we've got it mapped out. And, and Oregon's on the same schedule, so it's it's equal footing for both teams. What do you know about the Ducks? Explosive team, uh, playing good defense. They've got a lot of athletes in the secondary. I believe they lead the Pac-12 in interceptions, which is usually a good barometer of your athleticism in the back end. And they, They've got uh, some tremendous athletes. Obviously, the quarterback, Herbert, is a big-time player, and uh, they're very skilled. they got an offensive line. That's something that is, is going to be a great matchup next week because they have one of the best offensive lines in the country, and we feel we have one of the best defensive lines. How do you balance winning the South for the second consecutive year but also know that you need to get ready to win the conference well i don't know if it's a balance but it's just you know an, uh, an opportunity for our program to take another step forward and that's the next step in the evolution of this program is to is to try to win the pac-12 we've been champions of the south now two years in a row and and so the next step is try to get over that next hump but i mean like in terms of enjoying it how, how long i don't can enjoy, you enjoy anything it? i just keep, keep i know you don't but i meant the kids <laughs> Uh, the, I'm still not following your question, Pete. Well, I mean, the, they want to. You want to be happy because you won the South, but how oh, long yeah. do you stay with it, knowing that you got to get ready to? Until tomorrow evening, when they come in and get ready for films and that, they can enjoy this tonight and tomorrow, and then coming in the evening and and get down to business on the next opponent. I got you. Well, I'm enjoying it, but I'm already thinking about the next one and, and what we got to do. But, but uh, yeah, that's some. I think that's a, a common problem for coaches, and as they look back and reflect, you know, when their career's over or later in their career, they they'd probably will all admit they didn't enjoy it enough, didn't enjoy the ride enough. So I try, but it's hard. It's hard because you're always worried about the next thing. Along those same lines, did you shed a tear at all this week when thinking about the seniors? Did you? Get emotional at all? I got emotional a lot. And, and today, pregame uh, over at the hotel before we came on the bus, and we were expressing our gratitude to the seniors and get choked up. And that's a group that, uh, you know, I'll probably get choked up right now if I start talking about them. But but uh, just, just so many uh, players that will, re, that will go down in Utah football history for years to come. The team appears even when maybe they start slow and then it got a little bit chippy. Colorado's offensive line threw a couple punches, but even immediately after that, you guys were executing. Where does that come from? Is it this group of seniors that's able to kind of keep everyone dialed in? Yeah, 
They're, they're, it's a mature group, and they, they handle their business well, and they, uh, you know, they, they do a good job of, of uh, not getting caught up in some of the extracurricular stuff and just getting down to the business at hand, and, and uh, it comes from great leadership. It starts with leadership, and it starts with that senior class. Well, certainly for recruiting, yeah, to have a to have the national stage and and uh, to end up playing very well, even though we started slow and in a good time slot where everyone can watch it across the country. That's that is definitely a big positive. You already mentioned the matchup between Oregon's offensive line and your defensive line. The numbers game obviously favors them there, the five on four. But your group. Are they as elite as Oregon's offensive line? Do you have an advantage there, you think? I believe they are, and uh, we'll see. You know, the, the great thing is we get to go out and, and play the game and find out for sure, but uh, their, their offensive line is, is elite as well, and so that's why it should be a great matchup. Nephi still got his first action of the year yeah. tonight. What, what happened he just got cleared. He, we've been, we've been uh, getting a waiver prepared, and and the NC2A, you know, typically they want more information. And you send that, and they want more, and, and and so we were just going through the process and collecting the everything they asked for. We had to go back and, and collect it and, and re uh, refile, and and finally they had everything they needed, and uh, fortunately made the decision that Nephi was eligible to play immediately. And now we need to keep him under the four game deal, which will be, you know, that's that's easy to do now this late in the season to preserve the redshirt year so he'll be a junior again next year there you go kyle whittingham in the post game talking about some of the uh the play some of the action and i'll tell you kyle whittingham's not crying for anybody i no. mean it's just uh, yeah okay so you no, can, no wait a minute he didn't say cry he's not gonna weep like uh gone with the wind but he said he was getting a little emotional and I, did, I believed that Kyle Whittingham got emotional talking about this group of seniors. Not every group of dipstick seniors. Yeah. But this is maybe the best senior class he has ever had. The senior class is about to put him over the top, well, yeah. And, and there's three guys in particular that come from a place far away from Utah, vastly different than Utah. It's a place called Florida. Yeah. And the Hallandale Trio came here four years ago. Uh, several of them, I'm sure, thought about leaving at various points. Zach Moss was going to leave for the NFL. They all graduated. They all have won. They've won back to back South titles. I think that is something that that you could say would make Kyle Whittingham emotional. I believe that he got potentially emotional. Some of these, you know, PK has that effect on people. He makes you emotional. I don't know, man. I I get to talk that's to a PK. different kind of emotion that PK draws out of people. Well, PK and DJ, you know, they they're emotional guys. I'm pretty sure Kyle was just angry. It's like. Why do you keep asking me about that? I don't think it was it was PK that was asking about emotions. Oh, PK was, it? was asking me if he was, was going to enjoy the win. That's oh. what it was. Yeah, and then it was Chris Kamrani, our buddy, who said, well, are you going to enjoy it? Are you happy at all tonight? And Winningham said, yeah, yeah, fine. I'm happy. I'm happy. What do you want out of well, me? Okay, fine. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy I, it tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Oregon. Jeez. You're not looking at film right now, coach. You're going to take a shower. You're going to have a huge ice cream sundae. Kyle Winningham's going to eat half a carrot cake tonight. That dude binge eats. <laughs> he eats when he's happy. He eats when he's sad. He's an eater, man. He's going to eat tonight. Uh, I was on a recruiting trip with him. Yeah. Or, you know, I, I was a host at this point. I was an upperclassman. He took us out to uh, all the recruits to a nice dinner. I happened to get to sit next to him, which was kind of cool. And we're looking at the menu. It's this big steakhouse. And he turns to me and says, what are you going to order? And I'd always been told by my dad to order the biggest steak on the menu. That's yeah. what you, that's what you order. So I look at free. Well, yeah, exactly. But I, I got like a 24 ounce T-bone 
And I said, I got the biggest steak on the menu. And he said, okay, cool. Me too. And we're sitting around there. They just brought the blooming onion in front of you, which is like 10,000 calories. Yeah. And he said, uh, do you want a shake? I said, what do you mean? A sh- like a milkshake? He said, yeah, yeah, before your dinner, do you want a milkshake? And I said, hell yeah, Coach Witt, I want a milkshake. <laughs> we drank a milkshake. that's how you party. We well yeah, what's that wet parties? Uh, we drank a milkshake. We had we split a bloomin' onion, and then we both had twenty four ounce porterhouse steaks that night. Did you clean the plate? Well, I don't, it was free, man. I was in college. I didn't leave nothing, man. Are uh, you kidding me? That's a guy. Uh, my recruit that night was a little gentleman from my hometown, uh, a dorky kid who I said, you don't want me to take you to a party or something. He said, okay. And I took him to some party full of other young kids, and he went in the back room for a while, and I thought, all right, cool, maybe this kid's having some fun, doing some wild stuff. Now, I go back there, and he and Freddie Brown are playing video games. <laughs> I said, it's your recruiting trip, young man. <laughs> I have this money here that I could use to buy you uh, whatever we can get a receipt for that I can turn back to the NCAA, but if you want some spirits or whatever, you want to meet some girls? And he said, uh, no, actually, can you just take me by the 7-Eleven? I'm going to get some candy and go back to my hotel room. <laughs> I said, nerd alert. <laughs> I showed up to Utah at 17 on my recruiting trip. I immediately drank several adult beverages that were provided to me illegally, and I tried to hit on a very large track and field athlete. This gal was a hammer thrower. She was from Latvia. And I think she could tell that I was a prepubescent boy at that point, and she did not let me enter into a, uh, a uh, an emotional and uh, and sensual agreement with her. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a wise choice by this Latvian And then woman. later on that night, uh, Dave Dirkmat, uh, current Utah Football Hall of Famer as well, he bet me that I wouldn't tackle a trash can in the middle of the street, and I did. Knock the hell out of that trash can. There you go. Tells, tells and stories from Kyle Gunther's recruiting trip. That's just how it goes, man. You never know what you're going to get. If you're just tuning in, Utah wins the Pac-12 South Division 45-15 to over the Colorado Buffaloes. They finish out the Pac-12 season with a bang. Eight straight wins after losing to USC to get themselves into a position to play Oregon for the Pac-12 championship and a possible entry into that college football playoff, that coveted college football playoff. We'll keep you up to date on all the new details. Make sure you tune in for the morning after podcast. Scotty, Lloyd, and myself will get things started about 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Things should be posted about 10. We'll talk Utah State. We'll talk the BYU loss. They lost to San Diego State tonight. We'll talk this Utah win and the Pac-12 South Championship and the college football playoff chances and all kinds of things. And the great news is, if you missed any of this Utah post-game show, Brian Brown, our producer, is going to have it posted. How long that'll take you, Brian? Two minutes, Turkish. So about two minutes is all. And it's a funny angle, Tyrone. You said two minutes five minutes ago. (laughs) Five minutes, Turkish. Oh, man, now I'm going to have to go back home and watch Snatch tonight because that I'll just fight you for the caravan. <laughs> Perry, we can believe. So uh, we'll have this thing posted for you in two minutes. Throw it up on your podcast. Throw it up on your phone or your laptop or iPad or iThing and your i your iWatch. And you can basically download it on, what do kids have it, like in glasses now? You've got earbuds installed. Like earbuds, dude. Airbuds, Airbuds, wireless Airbuds, man. So you can put it on any device and make sure you get it uh, downloaded. You got, you got three teenage kids. How many Airbuds have you bought so far? Uh, three teenage. Well, nope. I'm just rocks right out. He's twelve, just sneaking okay. in. Okay, but has he asked you for some yet? Uh, it's funny. I buy them and they lose them within four days. 
And I'm like, well, I'm not going to buy another one unless it comes with a tracking device. But the air, like the little iPod, the, I don't know, the, the, what do you call them? Air, air, ear, I call them earbuds. Earbuds? I don't know what they, yeah, the, the, the ones that cost too much money. Yeah, yeah. they're gone within five yeah. minutes. So uh, I'm, I'm limiting that, no question about it. But please download the podcast, take a listen. Kyle and I really dived into the offensive system. We talked a lot about what they did defensively, what you saw from Colorado, and a lot more. That'll all be at 128thezone.com or search Ute on 12 or the Zone Sports. If you search the Zone Sports and Ute on any podcast provider, you're going to be able to get this uh, Utah post game. Kyle, well done, man. Thank you, Hansi. Thank you for having me. Dude, it really a lifesaver and uh, fantastic analysis. Obviously, one of the best in the market to break down this game. There's no question about it. And. Happy, dude, I'm happy with your family, beautiful kids, beautiful family, and I know we'll hear a lot more from you here on uh, on The Zone. I love working with you. I appreciate you. Thanks, Brian, as well. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for the opportunity. Wow, that's awesome. That's Kyle Gunther. Great to have him back on air. This is our first time together in nine years. We used to do Utah pre and post together, and, and it's been nine years. And here we are back right at the end when Utah wins the Pac-12 South Division. Keep it locked right here on 97. 97- Five and 12 into the zone jam-packed with live and local talk starting at 6 a.m with dj and pk and of course noon with scotty and i but remember tomorrow lock it in to that morning after podcast at 97.5 12 into the zone and the zone sports network